one of the most sensitive subjects that we can talk about today is weight loss. It matters not if you're a Christian. Image-type discussions are more personal than the things that we cannot observe about each other. Some folks are so opposed to talking about it that they have redefined what overweight and obesity are. We prefer to think of ourselves as body positive, regardless of how healthy we might be or what comorbidities we are accumulating. Thankfully, the Bible cuts through the confusion with clarity that helps us change into Christ-like vessels, both inside and out. Hello, everyone. Thank you so much for joining me for this podcast. I am glad that you're here. The title of it is, Let's Talk About Weight Loss, Practically Speaking. I want to do a deep dive into weight loss, but it, it won't be like probably what you're familiar with. Here is a diet plan. Here are some habits that you can uh, start practicing. Here's uh, some discipline that you want to instill in your lives. And by the way, here's a good gym that you can go to. Now, all of those things are important when it comes to weight loss. But what I want to do primarily in this podcast is that I want to do a deeper dive because we know, as Jesus said, that those things that come out of our mouths, our behavioral reactions and responses, the physical lives that we live, they generate in our heart. Therefore, if you want to deal with weight loss, you must it must be an inside-outside operation. But in this, this podcast, what I want to talk about is Again, primarily those things that are on the inside of us. My name is Rick Thomas. You're listening to Life Over Coffee. And I do want you to find this uh, article on our website. Now, our format these days have been that you can read, watch, or listen. And so if you want to read this full article, it's a little bit more than 2,000 words. Of course, we have the podcast here. And then you can watch it being presented by video. Video. And then finally, you can ask us whatever you like, whether it's something about weight loss or any other matter that's important to you. We would love to be able to serve you in whatever way that we can. All right, here's the title. Let's talk about weight loss. Practically speaking, let's go. There are seasons in our lives where the temptations that resist self-control those temptations that are antagonistic to self-control and discipline where they're strong. I mean, the holidays come to mind. That is <laughs> typically a, a rough start, uh, a, a rough season for me as I take on the mantra, well, I will take care of my weight issues tomorrow. Unfortunately, the holiday season can go on for a month and a half, and that could really be a problem. And then there are other times where you have personal and relationship challenges that really just puts you down in the dumps, and uh, sometimes we just let go of some things that are vital to us, like eating, and we overeat, or perhaps we even undereat. Now, that's not to mention holidays and personal struggles, but what about sheltering in place? Well, all of us know what that's like, and when you when you hunker down for extended period, let's let's say two years, well, that is a that's a long time to where you can pick up some some bad habits. 
And then finally, we come to our senses, we start a new diet, we jump in the gym, and, and we take our pledges to fight the battle of the bulge. These resolutions are commonplace because many people struggle with their weight. I won't give you the statistics. In fact, I was just looking at them uh, last night between being overweight and obesity. And of course, we uh, Americans are way overweight. And that may be uh, a big issue with most uh, first world countries. And so this is a problem that we do have to address. I think one of the things that came out of the 2020 pandemic as I was processing uh, what was going on to me personally one of those was comorbidities, as I was thinking about the COVID-19 pandemic and uh, how one of the uh, factors that contributed to the death of many people was not so much the the uh, COVID-19 uh, that was treacherous in itself, that was very devastating health-wise, no doubt, but it really piggybacked on comorbidities, and that sped up the potential of a person dying. And so I have thought a lot about comorbidities over the past couple of years, and that is that is an issue. And of course, weight, uh, being that so many of us are overweight or even obese, that is something that I've really been reflecting on over uh, the past year or so. And so all of this does not have to be bad news. Uh, to have this kind of self-awareness. I mean, you could flip it on its head. I mean, imagine this, that there were other problems that we might have, but we were not aware of. And so in that way, it's a kindness of God that he would reveal to us things that are wrong with us. I mean, it would be bad news enough, but then if you did find that thing or eventually learn, but it, it was it was, it was was already uh not just habituating in our bodies, but it already had done its dastardly effects on us. And so knowing about it is a positive thing. Losing weight and taking better care of our bodies, a great idea. But as you already know, it's a biblical one too. And so let's go ahead and get a couple of familiar verses out of the way since you are anticipating them Anyway, this is from the Apostle Paul. It's in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and also chapter 10. In chapter 6 of 1 Corinthians, Paul says, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you are bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. And then in chapter 10 of 1 Corinthians, verse 31 specifically, you know this one also quite well. He said, so whether you eat or, or drink or whatever you do, you do for the glory of God. Now, these are great verses, and I am very sure that most of you are aware of them. Perhaps you've read them, but you're still battling the bulge. And so may I be honest with you just for a moment? I do, too. I have had recurring weight problems virtually all of my adult life, and I could, I could even talk about the shaping influences of coming from a, a poverty-stricken background as to the things that tempt me when I see food on the table. It's, it's really interesting and striking that how some formative shaping influences can have that kind of impact on you even 50 years later. But this has been a struggle. And there are times when the Word of God comes across as a book of black letters on white pages, especially if we do not approach the Bible biblically. 
It's vital to know that the words in the Bible are not magic words, and that is essential. I think sometimes it's just give me a verse. Give me a verse of of the day. You know, let me read my 4.25 chapters a day so I can get to the Bible in a year. I mean, those are good things to do. I'm not knocking them all together, but it's not a magic book. You can't paste Bible verses on your forehead or in your heart if you're not actively engaging those verses. There is power, but the power does not work passively, randomly, or arbitrarily. The power of the Word of God works in proportion to our proper engagement with those words while actively praying, authentically seeking, humbly expecting, practically applying, and transparently living in the context of community. Now, if that is how you live and engage the Bible, then, well, the Bible can be an incredible transformative means of grace that God has provided for us. If we think wrongly about the change process, we will become disappointed when circumstances like weight do not change. The issue in view here is not so much overlying on the Word of God as it is a lack of understanding of what the process of change requires. It's like giving a child instruction to do right, but he does not follow through with your guidance because he doesn't know how to do that. The words appear to fall on deaf ears. God's word can fall on deaf ears and hearts too. Therefore, we must do these four things. Respond to the word of God. Engage the spirit of God. Actively appropriate the grace of God and practically seek the community of God. Now, there is an excellent chance to make great strides in heart and body transformation as we do these things. And so with those things in mind, I want you to take a look at how you can bring the Word of God to bear on being overweight. And so I want to begin with two fundamental questions for you. Number one, how do you think or how do you link, rather, the Bible to addictions? And again, what we have in view here is overweight eating too much. Number two, specifically, how do you relate the Bible to overeating? Now, I love those questions because it's imperative to make Bible connections to our lives. The Bible, or what I am going to narrow the focus to, is the gospel. The gospel, more specifically, it is the starting point and sustaining power for our sanctification. To lose weight makes the gospel question an important one. And therefore you ask, well, what does the gospel have to do with overeating? Well, there are two ways to think about and apply the gospel to the problem of overeating. Here is one. Overeating is not the real problem, but a symptom of a deeper problem, and the gospel addresses the deeper issues in our lives. Number two, Our bodies do not belong to ourselves. As I read from 1 Corinthians just a few moments ago, God purchased us with the gospel. One of the advantages of Christian discipleship over secular self-help is that the Christian discipler does not experience satisfaction with behavioral modification exclusivity. While we must change our behaviors, no question, eating poorly or uh, eating too much, not exercising, but ultimately we know that the necessity of resolving our problems at the source of the problem is what's in view, and that's what we have to do. Jesus did tie the tongue, the words we use, which is symptomatic, 
to the heart, who we are as people, the core issue. And so we find a connection between the words we use and the heart that generates them and all other behaviors act similarly. Being overweight is not just an external problem with no relationship to our inner selves, who we are at the core of our being. We are not biblically allowed to say, I'm fat, and then act as though our external condition disconnects from the internal state of our hearts. For example, I want to give you a short list of potential soul problems a Christian discipler wants to explore with a person who is overweight. And so if you're trying to help someone with overweight issues, here's a short list, not an exhaustive list, but I do want you to think through it. Now, perhaps you can add a few things to it. That would be great. I know you could. In fact, if you wanted to, you could print off this article that I'm reading right now, and, and, and you could write right in the margins and just keep adding to the list. But here's a short list of a few core, let's say, spiritual morbidities that can uh, lead to being overweight, anxiety, fear, self-sufficiency, performance-driven, sadness, arrogance, lack of self-control unbelief, and I'm speaking to our sanctification, not salvific unbelief, but unbelief pertaining to our sanctification. Not trusting God is what I mean in in moments when we need to as Christians. Self-righteousness, frustration, comfort, anger, slothfulness or laziness, folly, which is impulsive, disappointment, jealousy, regret, envy, resentment, hopelessness, There's the short list. And all of these things can collapse on us and and tempt us to go and escape through food, for example. Now, are any of these characteristics part of who you are? I mean, that would be a good time for you to examine, as I have, as I was writing this devotional here. And if that's true, there is a more significant issue in play, which is In addition to lack of exercise, overeating, making poor food choices. In most cases with overweight people, it is a soul problem too. There are a few people who are overweight or have obesity struggles, and it can be attributed to and directly linked biologically to an organic problem. I do know that. But here's my appeal. I would I would not want anybody to unwisely neglect a fuller exploration of the whole person before settling on organic exclusivity. We don't want to do that. We want to be we want to be honest. I mean, don't we want a fuller discovery? Uh, don't we want to investigate and try to see all the precipitating causes that are leading to overweight without just automatically classifying it as I am overweight because I have this medical issue or this organic problem? And can you see how the deeper issues I listed here will feed the temptation to overeat or not to exercise? I mean, if you're hopeless, for example, the temptation to not exercise, to get off the couch, off the chair, out of the house, to go exercise or, or to eat properly, you go, go for the first things that's in front of you, open the refrigerator and just grab, uh, don't want to take time to prepare a healthy meal, How aware are you that the gospel speaks specifically to a person struggling with those core underlying issues? The gospel brings hope and help to the craving or disappointed heart with, and does it, 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 
it does it with a kind of internal support. The overweight person eventually, as they address these things, they experience change on the outside too. And so the gospel addresses the source of our problems. The gospel does not allow us to do whatever we want. The gospel teaches us the Lord executed his son on the cross to redeem helpless and hopeless people. Our souls were the most expensive purchase ever made. But the gospel goes beyond redemption. After the good Lord regenerated us, he began to abide in us and we in him. Thus, we can make these four declarations, these four admissions about how the gospel applies to us. Number one, I am no longer my own. Number two, I no longer have the right to do whatever I want to do with my body. Number three, I am in union with Christ. And number four, I am an adopted child of the King. And you could add to that list as well, praise God. But because of the gospel, we want to make his name great in our lives, our families, our friends, our communities. We want to manifest the transformative power of the gospel to all those who are desperate for the hope that the gospel brings and offers. If we are not rightly and practically affected by the truths of the gospel, we're not in line with the gospel. It is essential that we provide our bodies as sacrifices to our Lord, as vessels that show off the wonder-working power of the gospel in our lives inside and out. The more sobering fact we must deal with is the potential to suppress the gospel, to push the truth, to press the truth out of our lives and how we live. If we alter the truth, well, altering the truth is more than being an overweight issue. I am talking about our affection for Christ. If the power of the gospel bought all of us, body and soul, then we need to figure out how to practically live out all of the inheritance our Father provides for us. We do not want to live our lives in vain. And so if your mind is more affected by Christ than by food, you're in the perfect position to deal with the real problem of overeating. And so are you ready? The next step is to come to terms with a comprehensive understanding of how sin operates in our lives. Now, I will do this by choosing one of the core heart issues that I listed above in that short list I gave you. One of the things that you may remember is self-control. And so what I want to do is I want to take self-control as an underlying issue and talk about how that just that one issue can lead to overeating. And so in this instance, part of the person's problem is a lack of self-control. This vital aspect of the Spirit's fruit that we see in Galatians 5 is not actively and practically working in Mabel's life. And so let's examine Mabel's struggle with self-control. I love my friends, Bilf and Mabel. They're always handy and convenient for an illustration, and I pick on Bilf a lot. And so I thought I would use Mabel for this particular article that I've written here. A person with little self-control in one area of their life will have self-control problems in other spheres. Now, that is a key idea to understand. For example, a lady who has trouble controlling her eating habits is overweight. Minimally, in our case study, Mabel lacks self-control in this one area. But if you were to talk to Mabel, 
you would quickly realize that she lacks self-control in several other aspects of her soul, too, like worry, anxiousness, fear, anger. You see, sin does not discriminate. Sin seeks to destroy the entire soul, not just one part of it. It will explore every possible area of our lives with the hope of spreading its poison. Rarely will you find a person who struggles with self-control fighting only in one place of self-control, where self-control needs to be practiced, like overeating. I want to give you a possible sin list regarding Mabel's weight problems, looking only at self-control as the underlying issue. And I want you to notice how this one issue snakes its way into so many other areas of her life. Are you ready? Here's just a few things that are tied to self-control as sin seeks to spread its poison. She overeats. That's what we're dealing with here. But also, she struggles with time management. No self-control. She has poor work habits. She succumbs to fear, worry, anxiety. She spends money on things she shouldn't. She binge-watches television. She loves hanging out on social media. She cares more about herself than others, which compounds her isolation creating an endless loop that amplifies all of these problems. But it gets worse, sadly. Mabel struggles to bring her mind into obedience. For example, she can gossip, she can be critical, angry, fearful. She can make uncharitable judgments, rarely thinks the best of others, be cynical and self-righteous. Then there are other bad habits that will show up as she continues in these self-defeating patterns. It's those things that hope to catch a ride on the endless loop she has been building. Let me give you a few more examples, and then I'll get off this endless loop because it's discouraging. But she has sporadic downtime with God. She does not consistently use discretion, discernment, or wisdom. She is lazy when it comes to physical fitness. She has poor sleeping habits. Now, can you imagine that when you first, but when she first perceives a lack of self-control in one area of her life, and then she begins investigating and sees that, wow. Uh, this idea of self-control, it has ravaged me internally, and it can be overwhelming and discouraging. It's like finding the first termite in your home, but after you call the termite man, you, you realize an infestation of the destructive bugs is in the entire house. Intuitively, we know this is the case with most crucial things in our lives. But knowing something theoretically is a far cry from when those problems out there somewhere are destroying us. It is now us on the hot seat. It's not those people that we hear about that we, we see. People typically think the best approach for combating a permeating and pervasive sin like a lack of self-control is to bring every area of their lives back into control at the same time. This approach usually ends with frustration while convincing the overwhelmed person that further resistance is futile. The temptation to despair settles in while begging the question, is it wise to attack every area that's out of control simultaneously? I don't think so. At least not always. I mean, there are some things that you have to address immediately, but addressing everything comprehensively at the same time might not be wise. And so here's a key idea. 
One of the best ways to learn and practice the habit of self-control is to tackle one area of your life that is out of control rather than trying to tackle every area at the same time. It's kind of like debt reduction. You can't get them all at the same time, but if you tackle one and then move on to the second, and as you attack one area of a lack of self-control, you begin to learn how to eventually attack all the other areas in your life that are out of control. It has an accumulative effect. As you do one, then there's motivation and there is a forward momentum to take care of the rest of them. And so I want to give you just a, a short list of of a few things that you will experience as you gain victory just in one area. Number one, you learn essential practical habits that help you battle against a lack of self-control. Number two, you learn to pray about the specific sin issue of a lack of self-control. And so you're learning practical habits and you're learning how to pray more effectively. Number three, You experience growing encouragement as God blesses you with restraint. Number four, you begin to tell others about what he is doing in your life regarding self-control. Now you are an evangelist. You're spreading the fame as as you have experienced God's grace uh, in your life. Number five, you're, you're no longer discouraged about your problem. And so you go from encouragement to, I mean, from discouragement to encouragement, and you become an encourager to others who lack self-control. Now you become a life coach, not just spreading God's fame broadly, but specifically interacting with individuals. Number six, you gain a growing understanding regarding the commitment to learn self-control. Your knowledge base is growing, but also your application of those things that you are learning. Number seven. You appreciate God's grace that enables you to persevere in self-control. And gratitude is one of the most important things that we can do when we're in any process with the Lord. Number eight, you grow in your confidence. Your faith is what I'm talking about. Not self-confidence, a God-centered confidence. I'm talking about faith in the Lord for how he brings all areas of your life into control. And then finally, number nine, your example of living out the gospel by losing weight motivates others to change. Now, that is a just nine wonderful testimonies uh, that can be any of ours as we learn how to practice or take, uh, take this, this uh, self-control, the problem of self-control, taking it to task. And in time, you attack other problem areas in your life because you have learned how to mature In this one area, you can take any problem, poor sleep habits, gossiping, addictions, working too much, working too little, shopping too much, shopping too little. I'm not sure if you can shop too little. (laughs) I love shopping too little, so I trust that's not a problem. And you can apply these ideas to them, and then you gain victory throughout your life. As I wrap up this uh, podcast, by the way, the the title of it is Let's Talk About Weight Loss, Practically Speaking. You can read, watch, or listen to this content, and I would love for you to do that. But I do want to make one final point here. It's perhaps the most vital thing that you need to know, and that is transformation on matters like these take time. You prepare your mind for the long haul while begging God for the gift of perseverance and the grace to work it out practically. I think all of you 
probably know that if you've tried anything that takes work to change, it's going to take a long time. And on the front end, you're not going to see you 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 won't see any any change at all. But once you start, things have activated inside of you. And though you don't know it, they know it those things inside of you and things are changing but if you persevere uh, then you will see the results of it we have to snap out of this mindset of instant gratification that i want it now uh, that i i i want uh, two to three day delivery i don't want to wait for it I want what I want, and that's not how this kind of transformation happens. And so if you want to read uh, this article, please go on our website to do that. I do want to wrap up uh, with something that is important to know as I do an article like this, and that is that we do not provide uh, medical advice. And so my first appeal, the absolute first step when you think about doing anything uh, to your body or to your health, is that you must check with your trusted medical community. That is not us. That is not what we do. We do not offer medical advice. And so you want to gain their perspective, uh, their ideas, their advice, and their recommended paths forward. And so that is essential as you think about these things. But I do want you to think about them. By the way, at the end of this article, if you want to get into a practical call to action, I have four ideas here that I would love for you to apply uh, to your life. And if you want to talk to us, just please uh, let us know. You have been listening to Life Over Coffee with Rick Thomas. If you have a question for Rick, you can let him know by sending him a note through his website, rickthomas.net. That's rickthomas.net. Thanks for listening. Enjoy your coffee.